try to time this, but I stopped doing that, so we just kind of roll right into it. So, hello and welcome to episode 170 of the Rollo and Slappy Show. Today is November 11th, 2019. I am Rollo McFlugel, and with me is Slappy Jones, too, and we are both from McFlugel.com. Show notes page for this episode will be McFlugel.com slash 170, where you will be able to find links to our sponsor, LibertyMugs.com as well as links to the things we talk about and also ways to follow our guest who Slappy will introduce to us right now. Thanks, Rallo. Welcome to the show, Carrie Wedler. Carrie, Hi. Yeah, Carrie's been, everyone already knows who Carrie Wedler is. She's been all over the libertarian world, um, Video make, makes videos, lots of content. She's currently with the Foundation for Economic Education, FEE. Uh, yeah, so welcome to the show, Carrie. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for joining us. Um, so, Rala, why don't why don't we? Uh, where did you want to start with this? Well, I, I kind of wanted to bridge this with the episode. Uh, I think it was episode one sixty five when we had the Empress of Meme on to talk about the Amber Geiger case. Yeah, I was and how that, that one. Yeah, and how it was really kind of uh, watching everything go down with the with the sentencing when the victim's brother. Uh, gave Geiger a hug and uh, forgave her and said he didn't want anything bad to happen to her or for he for her to even go to prison. Uh, it was really kind of powerful, powerful moment. And between that and seeing Amber Geiger just look like an absolutely broken human being, um, you know, understanding what she did, it really kind of made, made me take a step back and say, uh, yeah. What's there's there's more to this stuff that's going on. Obviously, the cops do a lot of bad stuff, but um, is sending the vitriol and hatred back at them really always the best thing to do? Um, certainly, there's things to be angry about. They do a lot of bad things, but are there better ways to approach it? So, um, and Carrie was also on the Tom Woods show a little while ago and and kind of talked about this kind of thing about. I don't know, maybe maybe taking a little, I don't want to call it softer, but a nicer well, approach to realizing to things over there. Right. I mean, we're. Yeah, all I like the phrase less reactive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's yeah. good. It's worked for me as someone who is prone to reactivity, especially when looking at crimes of the state. You know, um, it has been very helpful for me to take a step back and. Um, I, did I interrupt you? Were you about to say something? No, no, no. <laughs> okay. I yeah. Trying, I was trying to hand, hand the ball over to you. Oh, perfect. perfect. Cool. All right. Um, well, well, I think you were asking this rhetorically, but I kind of do want to talk about it. You were saying like, is just, is a softer approach better? Like, is it effective to be so vitriolic? And my conclusion is no, it's not effective. And I've tried it both ways. And I'm still evolving, you know, that doesn't mean I'm not going to snap one day and make a video where I'm pissed, you know, because when we're upset about these things, it's not wrong. Feeling angry about a cop going into the wrong apartment and killing someone, that's justified. Uh, yeah, we should be angry. If we're not angry, something, you know, maybe we're detached. Maybe we're not really paying attention. However, on two fronts, I don't think that sort of turning it back around on people is effective. One, because... I'm, I don't know who said this, but it's like a pretty famous quote and I don't have it correct. But basically it's saying like anger is corrosive. It destroys like the person who's holding it. It's not going to destroy the people outside of you. So 
after spending many years very frustrated, very self-righteous, very angry, very reactive, I realized like, huh, I'm not very happy. Like, <laughs> It feels good to be right, I guess, but it's sort of a short high, you know, and then I have to be angry again. I have to be right again. So as far as personal well-being, I don't think it's effective, but I also don't think it's effective for changing people's minds. Like, Sure, some people respond to being yelled at. I would question, you know, I, I don't want to say they're not well, but I, I think that if you respond to being screamed at and like denigrated, I I don't know. That's not for me. Yeah, and it's funny. And I'm saying this is someone who has screamed and denigrated people. You oh, know? we all like, have. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I, it's part I, of being I, libertarian, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it it turns a lot of people off. And I've just found that not insulting them, not degrading their humanity sometimes is really effective. If you can find common ground with people, if you can acknowledge their concerns without necessarily condoning their solutions, there's room for a conversation as opposed to just turning someone away forever. But Carrie, they're wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've been wrong a lot of times in my life too, right? Like I used to be yeah. an Obama supporter and being screamed at didn't change my mind. You know who changed my mind? Ron Paul. And Ron Paul is very optimistic and not very insulting. He just talks mm -hmm. about the positives. He talks about the problems, yes, but he talks about solutions. He doesn't insult people unless it's Congress and he's calling them psychopathic authoritarians, in which case I approve. <laughs> but nonetheless, you know, it's I had been insulted for supporting Obama before and my walls went right up. I don't even remember most of the conversations. Like and it was that it was that person who had previously insulted me and yelled at me who introduced me to Ron Paul and I'm very grateful for that. Um but first I was insulted and years went by and my mind didn't change. So I think there's hope for everyone, but not necessarily if you're just being an asshole to them. Sorry if I cussed and I'm not supposed to. No, that's fine. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting because there I mean you have to treat people respond to things differently. I personally, I know getting beat over the head a little bit was helpful for me, but that's, I mean, I don't, I'm just, maybe I'm a weird case and I don't <laughs> recommend that being the first thing to try, especially if you don't know the person. Um, so one of the things that I've kind of noticed among libertarians is that they're not really special in this sense is that it's, I think it's a normal thing. Like if you're, Imagine driving in the car and, and, you know, you do something by accident causes you to piss someone else off and they start beeping at you and screaming at you. And it's like if we were walking down the street and I kind of like bumped into you, we would both apologize to each other and smile and, and it wouldn't be a big deal. But when you've got a, a ton or two of steel around you, it, <laughs> it creates this like nasty animosity. And do you think the Internet does a lot? <laughs> that like when you're when you're on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook and you're behind a computer screen with people that you don't actually have a normal human interaction with that that kind of for whatever reason it, it spurs us on to be nastier and like I don't know that libertarians or anybody would be that nasty if they were dealing you know sitting down and having an actual conversation with someone in real life. Oh yeah, I totally agree, and I am someone who. For many reasons, I receive a lot of very mean comments and messages, like from the content of what I'm saying to how I say it to my accent, which people think I talk this way on purpose. I don't. I'm a valley girl. This is my natural dialect. I wouldn't talk this way if I had a choice, but this is how I talk regardless. Um, yeah, it's so much easier to be mean to people when you don't have to look them in the eye, when you don't have to think about the fact that 
they have a family and a life and their own struggles. And one of the biggest changes for me was getting into compassion practice and starting to recognize that even people who disagree with me, even people who advocate things that I find to be morally reprehensible for whatever reason, probably because they have been fed a set of beliefs and a set of, you know, false truths. Um, I don't want to say indoctrinated. That is a judgmental term, but that's what most of us would say. They've been indoctrinated, you know, as I was indoctrinated. Um, they still want to be loved. They still want to be happy. They still want to be at peace, you know, and oh my gosh, I want those things too. Crazy. And I just, I think that when we fall into this polarization and this being mean, all it does is feed statism. I'm not, not all it does, you know, but I think that that is a consequence when we keep, yeah, we're disconnecting from other human beings who aren't necessarily the government. But I do want to say too, that as easy it is to be as easy as it is to be mean to people on the internet, the internet has also done so much for connecting people and allowing us to see past borders and government designated nationalities. So I think it, you know, there's two sides to the coin. Um, I don't know how often they intersect, but it, it certainly makes it a lot easier in some cases for people to just unleash however many years of like unresolved trauma they have that they're projecting onto somebody else that has <laughs> nothing to do with them or the topic at hand. <laughs> Well, I'm pretty confident if the internet did not exist, I wouldn't think the way I do today because I was able to find Mary Rothbard through the internet. I was able to f- connect with lots of people, have lots of conversations, lots of arguments, lots of yelling. Um, but without it, I wouldn't think the way I do. And I feel that it has made my life better thinking this way. It's made me a lot happier. Um, but would you also, and you kind of mentioned this, but even your your normie Republican Democrat out there, they kind of, we all kind of want the same thing. Maybe they don't see, or, or maybe we don't, I I don't know. um, Maybe the, the way to get there is different, but we all kind of want the same conclusions essentially. Do you agree with that? Or do you think that's not the case? I, I do with that. I think for the most part, um, you know, there are always going to be people on the right who say that the Democrats just want to, you know, plunge America into Satanism or something, you know, and, and the same could be said for the left and their judgments of the right. Um, but no, I think that fundamentally as individual human beings, when you take away the flavors of statism, yes, we want to feel secure in our homes. We want prosperity. We want the ability to provide for our families. You know, these are very basic human things. And regardless of whatever spin we've taken politically, they're basic human needs and desires that I think most of us can connect on. Yeah. Um, I think that's, that's absolutely true. Um, so I don't know if, if, if anyone had anything to say where we're still, cause I wanted to turn the wheel a little bit. Sure. Um, so I want to get back to like talking about the police a little bit, because that is one of the places where, I mean, we see these videos all the time and it is very easy to get very angry at what we're seeing because it is a lot of really bad stuff. Um, but one of the things I kind of noticed, uh, is that, well, we would not notice it, but we all know that the the libertarians are very hard on the police and for good, you know, for good reason. I'm not trying to say, Mm -hmm. oh, be easy on, on the bad things the police do, but but have you, have you noticed that like there seems to be to, Veterans Day is a good example is is good uh, or today's Veterans Day so libertarians tend to give veterans soldiers more of a pass a little bit 
um, with the fact that they'll say, well, they're victim. And I don't maybe past is not a good a good word, uh, but they understand that they're victims. They're indoctrinated. They, uh, you know, they know that growing up in this country, everyone wants to be this, every boy at least wants to be the soldier. He's, he wears a uniform. He's out there protecting his country. And there's, you know, cool airplanes flying around and tanks and stuff. And so we kind of recognize, all right, they grab him at a young age. And so they didn't know what they're getting into. But but why don't we have the same view for cop? Uh, because it's, it's really the same thing that's going on. And I'll even it was about a month ago, uh, I went to fire school for my uh, new job. I joined the fire brigade for where I work. Yeah. And so, so you had to go to the like fire school and like train to be a firefighter, basically, for a few days. And you're walking around and you're wearing like the, the full bunker gear as a fireman. And there's these little kids on a field trip there that day. And they see you walking by and they go, whoa, cool fireman. And you do. I'll admit you get that feeling like, man, I'm, this is this is pretty neat. Mm-hmm. Even though I know I'm not like a fireman, I'm just doing a training for, for work. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, why don't why don't we like give that benefit of the doubt to the police? like we do for for soldiers? Yeah, that's a great question that I honestly haven't really thought about much. Um, I think maybe, and and I come from the left, so I didn't come from a statist ideology where I did like revere the military, you know? So I'm always, mm-hmm. I'm always trying to learn more about that worldview because it's so foreign to me. Uh, like I'm from Los Angeles. I was raised a progressive Democrat, you know? <laughs> like I have a totally different background. But I mean, I guess that there is some... Or I guess there's more of a belief in in supporting the military that there's like more good intention and more honor to it, I guess, despite the reality of it. Like we're not talking about that. We're talking about a perception. Sure, sure, right? sure. Um, but I I guess when it comes to police, maybe there is more of a perception that it's about power over as opposed to like serving and protecting, even though that's the police slogan. But at the same time, I guess it's hard to say because in general, not not to collectivize everyone, but in within that ideology, there seems to be the same, in my experience, the same level of respect for military and police. It's kind of like one in the same. Um, mm-hmm. Like I've made videos on the 4th of July and I'll look for footage and there's parades <laughs> celebrating cops and military. It's like they uh-huh. go together. Um, so I'm, I'm not even sure that that's necessarily the case, but are you talking about within libertarianism? Yeah, more for, for libertarian, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I I think culturally there's more of a a subculture of like f the police, right? Like yeah. there isn't as much we like have a interactions with the veterans. <laughs> you know, yeah. the veterans are our you know high school classmates who went away and came back, and the cops are the guys who are pulling you over for rolling a stop sign. Right, exactly, and maybe that's part of it too. Is there such pettiness involved in law enforcement that? doesn't fit in as much to militarism and like what people perceive to be the role of the soldier. And I think there's also more lies involved in the militarism. So it's maybe you can have a little more empathy for people who fall for that. Of like, well, they were lied to and they had good intentions as opposed to being a cop. There's more a narrative of like, Oh, that was the kid who was bullied in school. And now he wants to take it out <laughs> on everybody else, <Yep>. you know? <laughs> yeah. Which, and I think it could go both ways. I think that, assessment could apply to someone who joins the military. And I, mm-hmm. I know that there are people who become cops because they do want to help and whether or not they actually do is highly questionable, but there are people who have good intentions. It's not like every single cop in the United States of America just 
hates people and is a sociopath and that's why they signed up so they can beat up on unarmed people all the time. You know, like that's just not the case. As much as it's useful for <laughs> our, for promoting our message to to speak in generalizations and to talk about the reality of power and of where government gets its authority, which is violence, like, yes, that's all valid, but you, you have to consider the human element and not all people are evil if they right. go into government. <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, once you once you join up and, and you're in the police department, I mean, it's I, I can't Im- I mean, obviously, I've never been a cop, but I can imagine that you get sucked in pretty quickly, even if you want to be, you know, do the right thing and everything. If you there's a lot of a lot of peer pressure involved in that kind of stuff where if you don't toe the line, um, you know, your your life is probably not going to be that great with with how they're going to treat you and, and your family. You, you see stories pop up every every so often um, about you know, the cop that tries to, to clean stuff up and they, they, and their family get harassed over it. So, um, you know, like anything else, it's, it's, it's pretty easy to be on the outside and criticize. And I know, again, I'll, I'll bring up my job again. I'm, I'm in an industry that's, uh, you know, got some technical aspects to it that the average person wouldn't understand really what's going on. And, and you could, I mean, basically anybody could say that about their job. Um, you're all, you know, anyone's, any any person can pick it can pick something that they're an expert in, whether it's a job or a hobby or something. And so anyone can probably imagine, um, you know, a story coming on the news that does not paint that industry or whatever thing you're an expert in in a very good light. And then you go and see all these people commenting about it, saying how stupid and and awful these people were. Um, and you're sitting there like, well, you don't even understand half of anything about this. So how can you be making judgments? So do you think that we sometimes as libertarians, we see a video about the police and and I know the whole there's there's the whole thing. like, Oh, we didn't see the uh, what happened <laughs> before the video started. But is there an element of truth to that? Is are there sometimes that maybe we should, you know, instead of retweeting a video with. And, and saying how evil and terrible this guy is for doing whatever we did, because it is, uh, you know, obviously there's you can say that, well, if they weren't enforcing uh, so such and such law, then they uh, then the sh- situation shouldn't have happened. But we don't live in that perfect world and and they're not necessarily on the same page with us. So how do we do we just do we keep going with that and just say that, no, well, hey, that's. That's what the, the moral, uh, ethical uh, kind of conclusion is. And so kind of, well, screw you for, for getting caught up in it. You're still uh, still evil. Does that make you follow? I kind of rambled a little bit. No, I do follow. That. I do follow. Um, I think, first of all, something I love about the Liberty community and all the people in it is that there are a variety of ways to communicate the same message. And we reach more people that way. You know, so there are going to be people out there who might be statists right now, and that kind of a black and white approach is going to resonate with them. I know it certainly has resonated with me in the past, but there are also mm-hmm. people out there who need to hear something a little that has a little more gray area, you know, a little bit more acknowledgement of the police officer's experience. Um, do I want to do that? I don't know. I did make a video last year called Why I No Longer Hate the Police, and 
that was one of the meanest responses I've gotten from libertarians. They were like, oh, screw <laughs> this girl. And I wasn't even saying like, oh, I love the police now. It was just like, hey, I don't have room in my heart to be hated. Yeah, anymore. it takes been, a lot of energy to hate. Yeah, it really does. And like, I have, I've had experiences that I would be well within reason to like, just freaking hate all cops, you know? Sure. And people say that to me, even though I don't, they're like, I know you just hate all the police, Carrie. And I'm like, when have I ever said that? First of all, like, I don't say that. Um, but yeah, I do. It is a, a precarious balance to strike um, because you don't want to explain away or you don't want to rationalize away mm. the bad behavior. But also, and more importantly for me, you can't ignore the fact that it's not about the individual police officers. It's about the institution. And maybe like mm. that's my answer is talking not so much about the individual officers because there are going to be some who try to make a difference and there are going to be others who seek out people to beat up on. You know, it, there's a wide range of people. So for me, it's not whether or not the individual cop is good or bad. It's the institution that they've decided to work for, whether with good intentions or bad intentions. Like that's the issue here. And maybe, maybe I don't I don't know, but maybe that'll be helpful in reaching one person who you know, they love cops and, and they don't want to hear bad things about them. But if you take the full onus of responsibility off the cop and you shift it back to government, then maybe that gives them a little bit clearer lens to see it through because they think they're anti-government, right? Like people who right. back the blue tend to think that they don't like big government <laughs> and, you know, don't tread on me and blah, blah, blah. So <laughs> I think it's a, and this is something that I've been trying to figure out. I certainly don't have the answer, but I am trying to kind of reconfigure how I express my views because I do want to reach more people because I, I could make a video just raging at the camera talking about how evil all cops are. And I could cite as many examples as I needed. I mean, believe me, when I look for footage for my footage for my videos, there is no shortage of cops <laughs> abusing people. Like I could go mm -hmm. on for years, you know, and never repeat a clip. <laughs> um, but nonetheless, I, I don't have every answer, but I do think it takes all kinds and, and people will respond to different things. Yeah, I completely agree. I think a lot of times um, the reason cops are acquitted when they kill somebody is because they didn't break any laws. And what what you know, libertarians, we generally don't care what the law says. We have our morals and we follow them or, or at least try to the best we can. And so it doesn't matter what the law says. If you murder someone, it's murder when you're a libertarian. Yeah. Um, but a cop is trained <laughs> – which is pretty sick, but they're trained to make sure that well, actually get home, everyone gets home. Um, and mm -hmm. we just had uh, one of our local police chiefs who is very um, – what, what would the word you call him, Rallo? He's very uh, abrasive, very – he's a blowhard. He's very – I was going to say a lot of meaner words, but – Yeah, I'm trying, I'm trying to be, you know – without flying off the he's, handle and dropping yeah, a bunch of f-bombs uh, he's, he's very loud he's very gregarious yeah not in my town scumbag is one of mm. his quotes um he Lovely. just retired yeah no he says that i mean that they actually had t-shirts people were wearing t-shirts that said not in my town scumbag um because he wants i don't know there's it, it's his name's michael chipwood if you google him you'll find all kinds of stuff about him um <laughs> Anyway, he's just retired or announced that he's going to retire. And one of the things he said that, um, you know, he took pride in is that he always told his police officers and he, he always had their back and they always have to get home safely. And that's kind of a sick thing 
to say when you think about it. Mm-hmm. But that's what these guys hear all the time. That's what they're trained to do. It doesn't give it is not in any way a pass. And you go, well, it's just what it is. But it just highlights how awful the system is. Um, well, right. Know. And you also have cops who I don't want to say it's just the media, but there are a lot of police officers who sincerely, genuinely believe that there is a war on them. And so it's become they absolutely do. Yeah. Yeah. It does. It's not just that like they're protecting it and serving. They start to view the public as the enemy and the public views them as the enemy. So, you know, and then it kind of it it reinforces everything. So (laughs) I don't know how to. it's like a vicious cycle. And I I don't know how to stop it. (laughs) It is. It's tough. And that's the thing. It's like so like we're we're kind of in a in one way talking about humanizing the cops, I guess, or realizing that they're just people. But at the same time, <laughs> you look at what they do, uh, it's very hard. Mm-hmm. Every other, every private industry, every private company business, if you ask them what their main goal, or at least anything, anyone that carried any sort of like, any risk or hazard associated with the job, you would ask them, what is the number one thing that we're trying to do? And that's to be safe, to get everybody home the same way that they came in. Um, and that's the employees, the customers, the people around them, the neighborhood where they, where the, the business might be located or the job site might be. Um, and that's taken, you know, at least places I've worked very, very seriously. Whereas you see with the police, it's the, uh, follow the law, uh, enforce the law, you know, take care of ourselves. There's not that. So it's this incentive, like you're saying, it's the institution, it's the system that's this perverted incentive structure that they have a captive audience that they don't have to satisfy the consumer. Um, and so it just flips all of the normal incentive structures on its head such that you get to the point where their employers, even though they're saying that, yeah, let's get everybody home safe. I got, got your back. They're sending them out to get shot at sometimes. They're sending them out with these, like, especially with the war on drugs, mm-hmm. these really, really bad laws that create all sorts of new opportunities for them to have engagements with people. So if they're going up on a traffic stop and they see a suspicious looking car that looks kind of nasty, and I know I've had it. I've been pulled over and had and saw the cop in my mirror with his hand on his gun, and it's not wow. a good feeling. Yeah. Not that he was not that it was he was escalating. He just had it had it there probably for good reason you know because he's he's his employers put him in situations where he's got to engage with people that might see it better for them to to fight the cop than to deal with whatever consequence that's going to happen if they get caught with whatever they're they're doing um so it's this really like they're their own people the people that are their employ just their employers are putting them in horrible awful danger despite what they say about getting them home safe whereas um in, in a private industry it would be unbelievable that that well the employees themselves wouldn't tolerate that right. if their if their employees were sending them to get to get killed and hurt and maimed it's and i think it, it it is unbelievable. Sorry to cut you off. No, no. no, no. Um, and I, I think that's where it comes back to the institution because you're talking about, well, they have to go out and enforce the laws. It's the law, right? Well, says who? Okay, says the government. Like, this is all stemming from this belief that authority must be respected, especially political authority. And if that's your core belief, well, then everything stemming from that, 
you're going to have a problem. You know, you're going to have unjust laws. You're going to have abuse in the streets. You're going to have confrontations. And, and like you said, especially with the war on drugs, there's this great documentary that came out, like, I think 2000, I don't know, early 2000 teens called Culture High. And it's about specifically cannabis, but the drug war in general. And they say, I don't, I didn't fact check it, but it made sense. They said that Americans' relationship with police really changed with the war on drugs because suddenly everybody was a suspect. Mm-hmm. It became like this preemptive or offensive war, as they call it, that made people turn in like they were enemies of the government and then the government became their enemy. So I don't, you know, and it's not just the war on drugs, though. That's the thing. Like, it's anything. It's like, oh, you can't sell water bottles on the street without a permit, you know, like, and, and then it's people's mentality that that's legitimate. Like, how many people do you hear that just say, well, he broke the law? And even just like, when I'm walking out here in LA, like, I want to cross the street, the little sign with the red hand says I can't. And I'm like, mm, there's no traffic coming either way, I'm, I'm gonna do it. And like five other people, depending on, you know, it's, it's, it's different every day, but sometimes people will follow me and sometimes I'll just stand there and wait, you know, but like most people won't just cross the street. They won't just like look both ways and be like, mm, I can make a, a rational decision for myself. I'm going to cross despite what the little blinking hand says, you know, <laughs> right, right. and that is so core. Like that's not even just a police issue. That's really, again, the institution. And that's what I think is more important to go after than just individual cops. As much as these cases illustrate the problem with the institution, I mean, the institution is the root of the problem. Yeah, I guess if you, like uh, I remember my uncle asked me this when I was young and I didn't, I don't remember, I don't remember what, how I answered it, but he said, if you're out in the middle of nowhere, and you were sitting in a red light at an intersection and um, the red the, or the light was not turning red. Like how long and you could you could see everything. You could see everywhere and there's no mm-hmm. one else around you. How long would you wait before you before you went? And I was yeah, I was probably not even a teenager yet. I think I was like, I would wait until it turned green. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, why? Because mm-hmm. we're taught that that means we're good. Yeah. I was like, like, I meet a lot of anarchists and they're like, I always knew that it, the system was a lie, you know, but I didn't, I really didn't. I, I didn't oh, either. neither did I. Yeah. Did I. I loved getting praise in school for like following all the uh-huh. rules. Like I was the girl sitting up straight with her hands folded at the desk, you know, just like waiting for the teacher to acknowledge <laughs> that she was doing that, you know, and like mm-hmm. lining up in a straight line after recess and lunch. Like I loved that. And it made me feel like I was a good person because we we're taught that if you obey that you're good. So, I mean, this, this is all wrapped up in morals, which is like very disturbing because, I mean, I think we can all agree that the state itself is an immoral institution, you know, between the three of us and probably well, your audience, that. you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's twisted. So, without, um, well, you, you kind of brought up you were a good student, sat still, very obedient. What changed? What happened? <laughs> what happened to um, you? How'd you go wrong? <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. This incident did not shake my progressive beliefs, but there definitely there was a crack in my my belief that I lived in like this wonderful free just society. Um, I was in high school and I just gotten my driver's license, and I was with my best friend at the time. He was gay, and we were in his neighborhood, and we decided that we were gonna like write in some wet cement. They had just like laid some um, handicap driveways. Mm-hmm. And we decided like, okay, let's write our dog's names, you know, and then, and then we got a little carried away and we kind of like filled up the whole driveway, but like not with anything <laughs> that offensive. And I decided to write, um, fuck Bush with a peace sign. Cause Bush was president. 
Um, and sure enough, these, these cops roll up and they had a Bush Cheney bumper sticker on their cop car, which is illegal. I don't know if <laughs> really? it's illegal everywhere. Yeah, you're not allowed to have a political I've never statement seen on public I've never property. Seen that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they peeled it off as they were writing us the tickets. They knew it was so shady. Um, uh, yeah. And like his dog was with us. Like one of the cops was like throwing the dog's tennis ball for her, but they were being so mean to him because he was gay. Like it was just a whole ordeal. And then I went through juvenile hall and I was like, I'm, we'll, we'll just tell her what happened. We'll tell the judge about the bumper sticker and we'll show her the pictures that show the writing is hardly even there anymore. And, and it'll be fine. You know, I'm, I'm just going to show that it wasn't as big a deal as they're making it out to be, but no, no one cared. No one cared yeah. at all. I was Not guilty of a, a gang bit. law. It was like some anti-gang violation where wow. if you tag up a street, then you lose your driver's license. So I got my driver's license suspended for a year. And I had just gotten it. Like I had just, I got my license on October 5th and I got the ticket on like October 16th. Like it was so wow. short lived in court was in December. So like, I mean, it was tragic for a That's a shame. Year. Well, yeah, I mean, if, if nothing else, you are an actual libertarian gangster. <laughs> so that's a major street cred. Thank you. I totally would not have done it without my friend. My friend was <laughs> the instigator, but because I was like, oh, but, you know, I was afraid to break any rule. And then, of course, the one time I do, I get caught. <laughs> um, but I remember like writing in a, it, this was a very long time ago and I had a, a live journal. I don't know if anyone remembers that, but I went like years later, I went back and I read my post and oh, my gosh, I'm like complaining. There's, literally, it's like I lost my driver's license when there are drug dealers out in the street. <laughs> so it's like I, I was not really questioning anything at like a. At a real fundamental level, although my parents were so cool about it, they were basically like, "Fuck the police," you know. <laughs> oh, I didn't get punished good. by my parents, um, but it wasn't until later on, after college, that I was introduced to Ron Paul. I broke away from the Obama spell. Um, I saw that he was not a liar. easy to do. It's not, but I mean, I I'd always considered myself someone who cared about current events and who, you know, cared about what happened in the world. And with Obama, as so often happens with any politician, I just figured he won and now he'll fix things because that's what government does. I just tell them what I want and then they go and do it. Right. Yeah. And they solve they're, all the problems. Yeah. Um, your representative or you're the voice yeah. of the people. Yeah. So, I mean, it was a rude awakening for me. Um, and then it was that same summer that I was introduced to Ron Paul. So it kind of went from there. And then there was the 2012 election and primary and Ron Paul was totally screwed. So then uh -huh. there was another, you know, just completely losing faith. And um, overall, though, it, it was absolutely Ron Paul. It was um, seeing what they did to him, realizing like no election is ever going to put someone in power who can actually change the system. But it was also that I studied history. And when I studied history in college, I was still very much a statist. But as I started listening to Ron Paul, it was like my whole education started to kind of click into place. And I was like, wait a minute, there's an institution here that has been hurting people for thousands of years and has been responsible for many of the worst things that have ever happened to humanity. And it was like, once that started to click, I just couldn't go back because there were too many thousands of years of evidence to to keep me in my in my days, you know? Yeah, it's it's I like that you brought up that you studied history and and, and saying that alongside talking about Ron Paul, it, it reminded me a little bit of my how I became well, how I became an anarchist really. I didn't have the normal Ron Paul thing uh, that a lot of people had, but I do give him credit for finally making me an anarchist because I was doing the thing well for a while I was like, Well, Ron Paul's kind of crazy, he's got his his foreign <laughs> policy isn't gonna work. 
<laughs> the normal, you know, law and order kind of minarchist kind of deal. Mm-hmm. But someone gave a coworker gave me uh, Ron Paul's book, A Foreign Policy of Freedom. And so it's just his collect for those for people who haven't read that a collection of his speeches given to Congress about foreign policy stuff. Oh, wow. And I'm, re- I'm reading this book and he's saying like, well, there's this problem over in this country and you say you want to do this, whatever. And but if you go over there and do that, that's not going to be the solution you want is not go- is not what's going to happen. And this other thing is this bad thing is going to happen. You're going to make it worse. And then the next speech is, well, you did what I said you shouldn't do. And <laughs> this is and it was just that over and over and over again. So it was seeing like coming, getting it for myself. Someone led me to the me to the well i wasn't going to drink it on my own but just kind of like oh, it's sitting there let me look at it and you know take it no oh, that, that actually that water actually makes me not as thirsty anymore let me see what happens when i drink a little bit more yeah um it's amazing how just kind of that just leading some was that how it was for you were you just kind of was it just like hey check out this ron paul guy here's a couple crumbs for you to follow and you just yeah. kind of got absorbed in it Yeah, it was so it was this guy I met in college. And I remember having I remember I remember telling him he was going to be on the wrong side of history if he didn't vote for Obama. (laughs) And and he he has never let me live that down to this day. Um, But and he ended up my boyfriend and and whatnot. But we spent that summer. I don't know if you guys remember ronpaulflix.com. But it was just a website with Ron Paul speeches and like Ron Paul interviews. And we would just stay up until like five in the morning watching Ron Paul <laughs> videos. And like nice. he didn't push me. I was just like, yeah, let's watch more. Can we watch another? Let's watch another. Like, let's mm-hmm. keep going. And of course, he kept giving it to me. Like, and it was awesome. And I'm so grateful for that. Um, but yeah, Ron Paul really did, really, really did have an effect on me. And it was one thing in particular, too. Well, not one thing, because he said so many wonderful things and just his entire approach is amazing. But he talked about the CIA coup in Iran in 1953. I never heard a politician talk about that. I saw Mm -hmm. one line about that in my history book in junior year of high school. And I remember thinking like, huh, that doesn't sound very democratic, you know? And of course I'm like a proponent of democracy at the time. I was like, that seems kind of wrong. Well, there's no more information on this in my book. It's just like one little blurb. Okay, moving on, you know? But then I heard Ron Paul say that and I was like, what? Obama never said that. Nobody, nobody talks about that. And it was his fearlessness and his, like, he just didn't care. He was going to speak truth to power and he didn't care about the reaction. Like, I'm sure you guys have seen that Giuliani uh, during the 2008 debate where, and he's like, oh my gosh, for anyone who hasn't seen it, basically Ron Paul said, well, you should just watch it. Never mind. I'm not going to try to summarize Ron Paul, but it's awesome. (laughs) It is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I, for the longest, like that was a lot of people's Ron Paul moment. And <laughs> I, I have a confession to make because I remember that I didn't for the longest time. I don't know what made me finally remember this moment, but, um, cause I, I thought I didn't, wasn't there for the Ron, for Ron Paul's big Giuliani moment. I was, <laughs> but I remember he said that. And I remember I ran into the kitchen and said to my mom, this guy, Ron, Giuliani just said something great. And this like Ron Paul idiot just <laughs> And then everyone booed him. It was great. <laughs> That's so, funny. Yeah, and it wasn't funny. until the next cycle that uh, I was uh, <laughs> it was for Ron Paul. <laughs> well, and it's funny that you forgot about it because, like, like I have blocked out a lot of those conversations I had with my friend at the time. Like, I don't really remember the details of what he was telling me. I know he was sending me articles, and I know that I didn't read them, you know? But, like, right. I don't remember the actual substance, because when you have those blinders up, when you already have your set worldview, it's very hard 
for people to get through to you, especially if they're telling you how stupid you are in my uh, experience, you know, yeah, <laughs> maybe so it works for some people. It didn't work for me. <laughs> that brings up another kind of thing. Backtracking what we were talking about earlier with talking to people. Do you think that, or do, do you at least have the tendency to be a little bit harder on the people that you kind of, kind of feel like they're coming from the same place that you did? Cause I know, cause I came yeah. from the more neocon side and I have a, I, sometimes I feel like I'm, I'm harder on them because I see myself in them. And I don't know if it's, if it's like guilt <laughs> over, right. over, over that or, or what, or I just have a, you know, expectation like, well, I used to think that way too. So you should be able to, to see through it. Do you, do you experience that at all? Do you, do you feel like you have like the progressive side have a little bit more of a, I don't know, <laughs> a little bit of a feeling of fire to get them? Um, I think, well, it's hard to say because, I mean, neocons really do trigger me. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, and I was never a neocon, you know, like, it's just, it's the hypocrisy of it. And yeah. um, the same thing applies to the left. And I think specifically for me with the spiritual community, because they tend to be very democratic, um, but it's it's really progressivism and liberals at large with this notion of, like, they're so proud of their compassion and they're so proud of how tolerant they are. But, um, you know, I don't think I need to spend too much time explaining that forcing people to help others is not compassionate, you know, but there's such a huge disconnect to the point where I even had um, this yoga teacher I loved. I missed her classes, but on principle, I had to stop going because she was a Hillary Clinton supporter. And I tried to, I actually sent her a very nice email, like around the 2016 election. I don't know why I thought it would matter, but I was really <laughs> nice. And I was like, hey, like, I love your classes. Like, I've just, you know, I've noticed that you seem to be a pretty enthusiastic Clinton supporter. And I'm I just wanted to, you know, point out that, you know, she's responsible for the deaths of a lot of people, you know, <laughs> like nothing too extreme. And she basically was like, it was basically like too bad. I don't care. And so I stopped going to her class because it's like, I can't be around that. I don't want to take spiritual crumbs from someone who supports someone that violent. And it's so sad because there's so many wonderful people, especially in the community here in L.A., who like they're out volunteering, they're out like really trying to make a difference in the world. Like they're actually taking action, but then they're going out and voting for very violent people. And it's, right. it is so frustrating because yeah. I have really taken this compassion practice to heart. I really, really tried to become active in my community. You know, I'm not like the biggest community organizer, but I was just volunteering yesterday. Like I, I volunteered a dog shelter now and I'm so happy about it. It's nice. so fun. Um, but I mean, I, I just don't, I don't understand how one can claim to be compassionate and care about others and then support a violent institution. However, you can even just with the tone in my voice, like if I were to talk to someone in the community about that, they wouldn't be able to hear me. Like if I were to say it how I'm saying it right yeah. now, they would shut me out and just assume I'm not assume like I'm being mean. <laughs> I mean, I'm not being that mean. I've been much meaner in my life, but like it's really hard to be able to communicate this calmly. Uh, and it's unfortunate, too, because, like, there's so many wonderful spiritual teachers that I love. And then they start talking about politics. And I'm like, oh, lady, you had me so good for the last yeah. 45 minutes of your podcast. And now you're talking about voting. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually kind of sad. And, I, you know, I've had that same experience when you talk to people on the left who um, great people, big hearts, care about people. And then you mention war and it's like. Total shutdown. They don't want to hear it. They don't agree. Or maybe they kind of agree, but they don't change. Yeah, it doesn't move them enough to reconsider the entire institution right. structure. Yeah, right here. So, I hear, oh, that's politics. Yeah. Right, uh, exactly. Okay. 
yeah, a couple hundred thousand dead, uh, just politics. Um, so I, I guess we have you for a couple more minutes. Can you tell us anything about the anti-media? Yeah. So for anyone who doesn't know, uh, we were banned over a year ago in the great purge of October 11th. Uh, the Free Thought Project was taken down, Police the Police, a page called uh-huh. Hemp, Rachel Blevins. She's another political commentator. We were all wiped out. Um, and then additionally, anti-media was hit especially hard on Twitter. So I think mm-hmm. the Free Thought Project was banned on Twitter. Um, but not only did they ban anti-media on Twitter, they banned me. They banned our one of a, I wasn't a founder, but another one of our founders. Um, and just like one fell swoop, we were all just kicked off. Um, it's particularly upsetting with Facebook because they had assigned us a representative to work with us that summer. So last summer, we wow. had a, someone who works at Facebook with a Facebook.com email address um, interacting with us. They gave us free advertising space. Like the issue was oh. not with our content. We were not fake news. They wanted to help us promote our articles. Not that Facebook is the best judge of real news, but nonetheless, they had endorsed our content. Uh, and then they just ghosted us after they banned Did us. Did you get a reason at all? They claimed that we were engaging in like misleading behavior. But Did I they don't know. point to anything or no, just kind of a no. general blanket you're misleading? Yeah, general blanket. And wow. you're, they never responded to our appeals. Uh, they never gave us any warnings or anything. Like we had never been suspended ever. Um, that is crazy. Yeah. it, it w- I've gone through many stages of, of grief since losing anti-media. And I kind of go back and forth between them. It's been over a year now. Um but I mean, that was my full-time job. Like I did that all the time. It wasn't a hobby, you know, like that was something that I, I had made it my life. And I'm so grateful that I had the chance to do that. Oh my gosh. Like what, yeah. how, how lucky was I that I got to run a news organization that had an anarchist symbol in the logo where That's we really talked cool. about things that we really cared about and we reported on really important matters like that. It was my dream job. And so it, it, it has been quite the experience dealing with the loss of that. Um, but uh, I actually gave a speech about it in our, at our, oh my gosh, at Anarchadelphia this year, the first annual Anarchadelphia. Um, I'm, I'm going to post that at some point because it is about empathy and compassion and feelings, but also losing anti-media because a lot came up for me with that, you know, and, and it's, it's been a difficult it's- experience to try to empathize with myself. Because part of me is like, oh, my God, Carrie, why are you, like, down about this? You need to come back stronger. You need to fight harder. But it's like, but I'm sad. <laughs> like, I, you know, like, I, I've had a lot of feelings coming up. And I feel like I'm finally, like, I have a bunch of new videos coming out. Finally, I've really taken the last year to take a step back and just take care of myself. But, um, yeah, I don't think we're ever getting the pages back. The Free Thought Project is relentless. They're on, like, 4.0 right now. And props to them for that. But um, our founder, Nick Burnaby at Antimedia, is now running The Mind Unleashed, which is awesome. They are still around, and they have a huge following on Facebook and Instagram. So check them out. Uh, I definitely vouch for Nick's credibility. So, the, mind, the Mind Unleashed? Uh-huh. All right. Yeah, they're awesome. I could get my... Anarchadelphia, is that in Philly? Yeah. Okay. They just had it in September. It was really cool. They did a good job. They had John McAfee call in, or like he rec- he pre-recorded a video and he was talking about cryptocurrency. It was really cool. Nice. Is that <laughs> yeah. an annual? Because we're we're both from the Philly area, so. Oh, cool. Um, it, I I mean I think they want to make it annual. Nice. Yeah, there's they have yeah. tickets for 2020. Oh, available. nice. Yeah. So before we let you go, um. Do you have a free market success story? I absolutely do. 
but I oh, don't know good. the name of the company. Should I Google it really quickly? Uh, it's up to you. Um, let me see. There, I will try to talk about it as I Google it. I'm not the greatest multitasker, but um, there cool. is a company, and I believe they are operating currently in Indonesia, and they're a drone company, and they're using drones to plant seeds all mm. over Indonesia. Biocarbon engineering, that's what they're called. And they're employing members of the local community to tend to all of the plants. But I don't know if anyone saw this study, but there, I don't know if it's a study, but an analysis slash report that came out this summer that said planting trees is a very effective way to fight carbon dioxide pollution. And I know that not everyone listening is like a hardcore environmentalist, but I think that that's an area where people really dismiss libertarians because capitalism is blamed for destroying the environment. So I think it's really important to highlight ways that the market is actually helping the environment. And I think this is an awesome one. Like they're planting, let me see if I can get the exact number. I have the, the link up. Um, let's see. One second, one second. I swear I'll be quick. Um, well, maybe I'm not going to find it. But I mean, they're pr- planting like, oh, let's see. Two operators working with 10 drones can theoretically plant 400,000 trees in a day. Wow. Oh, this is Myanmar, Myanmar. Um, mm-hmm. I thought it was Indonesia. I could be wrong. I guess it's Myanmar. Wait, no, sorry. It's somewhere. Yeah. Okay. It is Myanmar. And I'm probably saying that wrong, but uh, the story was on Fast Company. If you want to look it up, it's really cool. So nice. there are solutions out there and it's okay to care about the environment without advocating statist <laughs> top down. Horribly and there's solutions in the market. Yes. Yeah, there's exactly. solutions in the market for it. Yeah. So uh, do you have any, uh, do you want to tell everyone where uh, they can find you on sure. in their online travels? Yeah. Yeah. You can find me on Instagram, Carrie Wedler. I'm going to spell it because my name is always spelled wrong by like everybody. So C-A-R-E-Y, W-E-D as in dog, L-E-R, Carrie Wedler. I'm on YouTube. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Steemit. I'm on Minds. I'm on Float, which is an awesome new cryptocurrency social media platform. You should check it out. F-L-O-T-E. The organizers of Anarcho Vegas have launched it, and they're very principled, very cool people. Definitely worth supporting and checking out. And there's no algorithms. There's no censorship. And the same goes for Steemit and Minds as well. You can't find me on Twitter, though, because I'm still banned. And I like saying it. Got to own it, you know. Nice. <laughs> I'm not going to get back on there either. They're not giving my account back. So. Well, they, they, they don't like gangsters on their platform, I guess. That's true. I do have somewhat of a reputation after writing my name in wet cement, you know? Yeah. So we'll, we'll post those places to find you on the show notes page. It'll be a short tractor ride to mcflugel.com slash 170. <laughs> so, uh, Carrie, thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us very much. Do you have anything else, uh, before we, uh, stop and the recording? Yeah, actually, I do just want to say one thing, because we've been talking about empathy. We've been talking about not dehumanizing police officers <laughs> or like people who work for the government. And I just want to point out um, there's a difference between excusing bad behavior and like or hold on, let me rephrase this. You don't have just because you have empathy for someone doesn't mean that you're condoning their behavior just because you don't hate them and just because you can understand where they came from and maybe why they did what they did that doesn't mean that you're endorsing what they're doing and I think that there's a big or a widespread belief that like oh well if I have any kind of empathy for this person at all then I'm I'm saying that it's okay for them to kill innocent people no you're not saying that at all it's just saying like for your own well-being and hopefully for the well-being of humanity as we try to build a more kind or a kinder and more empathetic society or whatever you want to call it I know people like to make fun of the word society but whatever as long as we're trying to move forward we really have to practice this empathy. That doesn't mean you can't set boundaries, whether in your personal life or with the state. So I just yeah. wanted to. No, that's, that. that's, 
absolutely correct. Uh, love the sinner, hate the sin. Yeah. Exactly. Hey, and whenever there's a crime, we look for a motive. It doesn't mean you're excusing the crime. Exactly. Yeah, you want to find the root causes so we can actually solve the problem instead of just looking, trying to put band-aids on the, uh, on the what's it called, the uh, symptoms. Exactly. All right, well, uh, thanks again, Carrie, and thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll catch you next week. Peace. Thanks for having me. Yep.